Amen. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Good morning, church. Glad to have y'all here with us today. I know we'll probably also have quite a few joining us online today, so welcome to y'all as well, and thanks for tuning in. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, and uh, we're excited for uh, a new year coming. Anytime the the calendar changes, there's something in us uh, that starts to uh, do a little bit of reflection, to wonder what's next, to think through those things. And actually here at Solid Rock, uh, one way that we're doing that that I'm excited to tell you all about is uh, we're going to be starting a, a marriage ministry group here in the new year. Um, so this marriage ministry is called Reengage. Uh, it started at a church in Dallas and actually um, is in uh, hundreds of churches all over the country, and it's also international. Um, so last year we got the chance to do kind of a pilot group uh, with Reengage just to see if we thought that would be something that would be uh, good for Solid Rock, and uh, I thought the results were, were really great. So we're actually going to be opening it up to our church family. So uh, we have 10 spots for 10 couples. Um, it's going to be meeting Monday nights starting on January 22nd, 630 to 830. Um, it'll meet for 12 weeks, and that'll exclude the spring break week there in March. Um, but really the kind of overall goal of it is anyone who's looking to spend some time intentionally investing in their marriage. So you could be in a place where, wow, my, my marriage is in a really rough spot. I could really use some help. Or it could be, you know, maybe I've never really taken some time to just intentionally invest in my marriage. Or maybe it's been a long time, uh, really, or anywhere in between. Um, then it's for you if that's something that you're looking to do. Um, it's got a large group portion that uh, consists of maybe some teaching, but most often it's going to be marriage stories, kind of marriage testimonies of ways that God has worked in uh, marriages before and how uh, then, of course, the assumption is he's going to continue working in marriages. So if that is something you're interested in, uh, the registration for that is now open, um, and what you'll be registering for is really to express your interest. And so then you'll be hearing from me, and then you'll get more info. uh, Because it is only for 10 couples, we want to make sure that everybody who is looking to join knows that it is a commitment um, and what goes into that and that you have all the information. So you can find that registration on our website. If you are interested in that, would love to uh, have a phone call with you or we can talk after service today or after another service. Um, But we're really excited to be bringing that to Solid Rock uh, this upcoming year. Again, that's going to start January 22nd. Uh, But for right now, we obviously know today is New Year's Eve and so glad to have you here and uh, like I said, anytime we go into a new year, it's this time that we have for some self-reflection. Sometimes when we see that calendar is changing, we look back on what has already happened in the year. And for most of us, we look back and say, yeah, this wasn't good, this wasn't good, this wasn't good. I'm hoping that it's going to be different next year. And there's something special about this time. But the truth is, is that we really need a fresh start that comes more than once a year. We need to take more time to recognize our brokenness throughout the year, to recognize that we need a solution that doesn't have anything to do with the date on the calendar. And so what we're going to see today, we're going to be in the story of Saul in Acts, and we are going to see in the story of Saul how God has provided a solution to that need, that need for a fresh start, that need to address our brokenness We're going to look at how his enduring grace sustains us and how in our redemption we are healed towards something that is better than before. So that's where we're going to be today. Primarily we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, though this morning we're going to start in Acts chapter 8 just to get a little backstory on who Saul was, starting in Acts 8 verses 1 through 3. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So the execution that's mentioned here is the, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. So Stephen was the first person to be killed for having faith in Jesus, the first Christian martyr. And we see in Acts chapter 7 that Saul was there and that he kept an eye on everybody's coats during the stoning of Stephen. And we see here in Acts chapter 8 that this was something that he approved of. He was glad that this horrible thing had happened to Stephen. And additionally, following this murder of Stephen, Saul was finding more and more followers of Jesus, taking them from their homes and seeking to imprison them. Saul wanted to continue, though, to search out for even more followers of Jesus. And that's where we'll start in Acts chapter 9 with verses 1 through 2 to see what he does to pursue that goal. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the, the way is an early term for Christianity. So followers of the way would be Christians. It's one of the ways that uh, Christians were identified back in the, uh, in the early church. And Saul didn't just want to root out Christians in Jerusalem where he was, but he wanted to go to a whole different city and get permission to prosecute, to bind, to imprison believers in Damascus. Now the distance between these cities was about 150 miles So this was a huge distance that Saul was willing to cover in order to follow through on what he wanted to do, which was to imprison people who believed in Jesus. And this is the level of evil that Saul was pursuing in his life, that it would be good, that it would be right for anyone who believed in Jesus to either be imprisoned or killed. That's how his sinfulness played out. And what we know about Saul is that he wasn't anti-religious. He wasn't anti-following God, but the problem was he was very jealous for the Jewish faith, and he did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He thought he was doing something good to root out a heretical movement, a movement that was not from God. That's what he thought he was doing. We also know about Saul, and what he will come to learn about himself was that he was actually a profoundly broken person that all of this was done out of his brokenness. He thought that somehow he could achieve a righteousness that would come through the works of the law. And so while we all have different struggles, different ways of coping with it, we all do have this same fundamental thing about us that is the same. Apart from God, we are people who are profoundly broken. Our brokenness really comes from three primary sources. So we have general brokenness in the world. Post-Eden, since sin entered the world, there's a general brokenness. There's a brokenness in us that comes from our own sin, the own wrongs that we do. And then there is brokenness that comes from the sin that is done to us and the consequences that we suffer at the hands of others. And many of us know we're broken and we're looking for solutions, but for many of us, like Saul, sometimes we struggle to even recognize that brokenness. In ourselves. Sometimes we can think, if I was to get the scale of my life out, I think the good things weigh a little bit more than the bad things, and we could find maybe some sort of false comfort in that. But the reality is, is that a perfect God, the standard is perfection. 
And that's difficult news to hear, but I want to share with you some good news that here at Solid Rock, this is a place where it's okay to be broken. If you're new here, or maybe you've been here a while, you're not sure if you're okay to be who you are, this is a place where it's okay to be broken. Not with the intention of staying that way, but this is a place where you don't have to have it all together. Whatever all together means, right? If you, there's somebody in your life you think has it all together, guarantee that person also feels that brokenness deep inside themselves. None of us have it together. This is a place that we can be authentic so that we can all together pursue the redemption and healing that comes through walking with Jesus and walking alongside one another. So again, if you're here at Solid Rock and you are wondering, is this a place where it's okay for me to be me? I want you to know the answer is yes. And that's not because we're so special, but it's because we know what Jesus has done and we know who we are. So as we think about a new year, all the things we would do to change our circumstances, it's a moment for us to realize we need a fresh start, not primarily on habits or on budgets or on schedules, but in our brokenness. We need a fresh start. We need to take the opportunity to recognize our need for a God-centered solution to our shared human problem. And this is a good place to do that. And though Saul wasn't looking for it, he was about to be shown in a miraculous way his need for a fresh start. Back in Acts 9, starting in verse 3, going through verse 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So we see here Saul has a miraculous encounter that we can also experience in our own lives because God has provided a fresh start for us through Jesus Christ. On his way to persecute and imprison these followers of Jesus in Damascus, Saul meets the one who's at the center of his persecution. He meets Jesus himself. A light shines around him, a voice asks, why are you persecuting me? And a shocked Saul asks, who, who are you, Lord? Jesus makes himself known and says that in his mission to persecute Christians, the one he's actually persecuting is Jesus himself. And Saul's traveling companions, they aren't fully understanding what Saul's going through. They're hearing something, but they're not seeing this light. They're kind of uh, outside of his experience, but they see that something is going on. Something is strange about what's happening. And Jesus tells Saul to continue into the city that he'll be told what to do. And after this ordeal, Saul's blinded, has to be led into the city, and he doesn't eat or drink. Now, this fast that he ends up taking may have been out of grief. Maybe he was grieving what had just happened to him, that he'd lost his sight. Maybe he was starting to feel the guilt of what had happened, of what he was doing, of what he was pursuing. Or maybe this was some sort of anticipation for what would be coming, for what Jesus promised he would be told to do. Maybe it was in anticipation But regardless, what is clear is this encounter shook Saul to his core. 
and he realizes that something significant has happened, that his life will never be the same. And Saul was, by what truly is God's grace, that he would be intercepted in the midst of this horrible mission he was on, he's given an experience that would radically transform his life, that would totally change his values and what he pursued. And experiences like this, uh, ones where somebody's life is headed in kind of an obviously destructive direction, often will be called a Damascus Road experience. Okay, and it references this biblical story that sometimes we recognize by God's grace that he uh, really shakes someone out of a destructive path that they are on. And these experiences often make for great stories, and they are absolutely a testament to God's grace, but the truth is that these aren't the only stories that need a fresh start. It's not only those of us who are headed in what seems like an obviously wrong direction that needs a fresh start. All of us are in a place where if we're honest, we could look at our lives, and again, like I mentioned earlier, the standard of a perfect God is perfection. And anyone who looks at their life honestly would not say that we are perfect. That means all of us, not just people who are in a position like Saul or someone else you know who maybe has had an experience like this or lives a life that you would say you see the destructive end, those aren't the only people who need a fresh start in Jesus. We all need that. And the same God who stopped Saul in his tracks offers the same solution to us through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Sometimes these stories in scripture, they can seem far away, right? We're talking about a story that happened about 2,000 years ago. It happened to someone else in a place that's far away. But one reason we teach from the Bible is we have the conviction that God has not changed. That the same God who encountered Saul on the road to Damascus is the same God that we can encounter today. And we look at these stories from God's word so we can be convinced more and more that what he's done in the past, he will continue to do now and he will continue to do in the future. And that is to offer healing, to offer redemption, to offer us that fresh start. And if we can acknowledge that we do, in fact, need this fresh start, my hope is that as God reveals who he is through his word, that we can also see the solution that's been provided in Christ. That the more we see who we are, the more we'll see who God is and we'll recognize that he is the solution, that he is the one. And the ones who Saul was persecuting knew this, that Jesus is God, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died on the cross not for something he had done wrong, but for the sin of the whole world, and that three days later he rose from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven, he promised that he would return and make all things right. That's what those who followed the way knew. These are what the ones who Saul was persecuting knew. The same truth is available for us today. That same wonderful truth. And regardless of where we are, what we've been through, or what day it is on the calendar, by God's grace, believing this about Jesus, we can have that true fresh start on a lifelong journey with God. And while we all need that kind of initial fresh start by believing in Jesus, we also experience in life how much we need God's grace day by day, not just one time. We're going to pick it back up in Acts chapter 9, looking at verses 10 through 16. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, 
And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Jesus appears in a vision to this man named Ananias, a Christian. He tells Ananias where he's going to find Saul of Tarsus. Now remember, Ananias is the exact type of person that Saul has come to Damascus to find. He would have been on the list of people that Saul wanted to bind and take back to Jerusalem for him to be imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus. But Jesus tells Ananias he's going to take care of this man, that he's instead he's going to lay hands on him, that this man who is an enemy, he's going to help him regain his sight. So I don't know if any of you have been to the Fort Worth Zoo recently, uh, but the, the Big Cats exhibit is back after a long hiatus, and I love the Big Cats exhibit. But if they told me, hey, this guy has this, uh, there's this tiger, hasn't eaten for three days, uh, would you please go feed little bits of meat to it, right? Just like one by one, that'd be really good. You could help us out, right? You'd say, as much as I am interested in helping this tiger, I do not think that is the method that I'd want to go to, especially if this tiger had a reputation like Saul had, right? This was something that for Ananias probably seemed totally out of bounds, something that Maybe he even considered, maybe it's better this guy's out of commission. Maybe it's better that he can't see because of what evil he was doing. He's heard of Saul. He knows what he's done in Jerusalem. He knows what he's going to do in Damascus. But Jesus assures Ananias, and he reveals that there's going to be a great reversal in Saul's life. He tells him that he is, is not only safe to go help him, but actually he's been chosen to carry the gospel to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And for some context, Gentiles are those who are non-Jewish, okay? So the early church leaders, they were kind of stunned when they found out that God's plan of redemption also included people who were not of the Jewish faith. So this was kind of a major surprise, and actually several of the next chapters of Acts are uh, laying out for us how the early church leaders started to understand that this was God's mission, and some of the get-togethers they had to discuss, is this what God has for us? So the idea that this person who was persecuting all people who wanted to believe in Jesus was actually going to be an instrument for accomplishing this great work of the Lord must have seemed to Ananias impossible. He must have thought, this can't be the person who's going to do this. But what Jesus also tells Ananias is that this mission for Saul was going to come at a high cost. Jesus tells Ananias that Saul will suffer tremendously for the sake of the gospel. Saul is a person, and you may know this, but he's later going to be given the name Paul. He's going to have his name changed kind of as a part of this whole conversion experience. And he's going to serve as an apostle of Jesus, a messenger of Jesus. He's going to live his life on mission for the gospel, sharing with people and starting churches all over the world. And because of this, he suffered frequently. In one of the, letters that, in one of the letters that Paul will later write, uh, he tells the Corinthians about some of the things that he had suffered to that point. In 2 Corinthians 11, 
verses 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So it's a pretty unbelievable list of trials and tribulations that this one person went through on behalf of the gospel. And the reality is that while Saul's suffering was specific to him, suffering is undoubtedly a part of the life of all Christians. It didn't take very long at all for the early church to realize that their faith in Jesus would cost them something. And before this experience for Saul, it came at the hands of Saul, someone who would later experience that same persecution. In fact, suffering is really just a reality of human existence, right? All people go through suffering. The Bible is clear, though, that being in Christ, we do not get an exemption from suffering. In fact, we are promised that we will suffer. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul passes some info on to Timothy, a protege of his. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer. We are guaranteed that this will happen. And it's for this reason that we need a fresh start in Jesus. We don't just need him to be gracious one time. We need God's grace over and over to sustain us in the trials of life. We need God to continue to be gracious to us. And it's for the same reasons that we experience brokenness that we talked about before, that we will continue to suffer in the Christian life. There is still sin and brokenness in the world. There is still sin that we commit against others. There is still sin that others commit against us. That doesn't change just because we are in Christ, though hopefully in terms of our own sinfulness, we begin to grow more and more in Christ-likeness. But there is a uniqueness, too, to the suffering that we experience as believers in Jesus. Yes, all people suffer, but there's a unique opportunity that we have when we are in Christ, when we suffer. We are also promised that God is going to sustain us. We need him to sustain us day by day. He has promised that he will. And Paul actually gives us an account of this in a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace in Jesus Christ heals the relationship between us and God, and that relationship will lead to suffering in our lives. But the same grace that is there for us on day one of our journey with God is what sustains us every day thereafter every single day. Regardless of what suffering is thrown our way, and again, as every person experiences, we have the blessing of God's loving kindness in the midst of it. 
And in fact, what we see what Paul said in that letter to the Corinthians, that God has brought glory through it, through how he sustains us, through how he works in us, even in the midst of suffering, that God makes himself known through those things. It's not something to be avoided. It's something to be endured, knowing that there is goodness in it. And so we also see in the story of Saul another way in which God meets us in our suffering and brokenness. Back in Acts chapter 9, in verses 17 through 22. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Ananias does as Jesus commanded. He's willing to go into the tiger exhibit and see this man Saul who is deeply broken, confounded by what has happened, and he heals him through the power of the Spirit. He regains his sight, and then Saul is baptized as a believer in Jesus. And he stayed there with believers in Damascus, and he started going to the synagogues just like he planned, but with a very different mission. Instead of going to arrest disciples, Saul went to the synagogue to make disciples by proclaiming that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And the people who heard him were, as you might imagine, very confused. Isn't this the guy who is imprisoning followers of Jesus in Jerusalem? Didn't we hear that he had come here to do the same thing? But Saul had been changed. Saul continued to amaze them by proving that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior that the religious leaders had missed. And as we realize more and more of our brokenness because of sin, how God has offered us a fresh start in Jesus, how his grace sustains us in suffering, we also come to realize more and more that through all of this, God is uniquely healing our brokenness to make us something better than we were before. We talked a little bit about Saul's brokenness before he encountered Jesus, the the evil that he did, but we didn't talk much about his passion and knowledge of the Jewish faith. That while knowing God's law had been a passion for Saul his whole life, his brokenness played out in that he never actually knew the God that he was studying. So when Jesus showed up, Saul didn't recognize him. He was still desiring to gain a righteousness that came through works of the law, something he will later write about how impossible that is, that we could do enough good things to gain some sort of righteousness. But when Saul encountered Jesus and he finally met the God that he had learned about all his life, something incredible happened. It's like the missing puzzle piece finally clicked into place for him. Now Saul could look back on all the knowledge that he'd acquired through the opportunities he had to study God's word in the Old Testament, and he could see Jesus in those old, familiar passages. He could see that Jesus was the son of Abraham who would be a blessing 
to all nations. He could see that Jesus was the son of David who would rule forever. He could see that Jesus was the Emmanuel, God with us. Saul could go into the synagogues of Damascus and tell the religious leaders there, I thought exactly like you did. I condemned Jesus and his followers as enemies of the living God, but then I met him. Now this same knowledge that Saul had once used to denounce Jesus was the same knowledge he used to prove Jesus, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And there's more good news for us as we move into the new year, as we seek out a fresh start. God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to do the same thing in your life. Uh, With our SR kids uh, on Wednesday nights with our third through fifth graders, we uh, have been talking about God's story of redemption in the Old Testament. We say the same thing every week, that redemption is God's process of taking something broken and making it better than it was before. Now, of course, we know we're all broken the moment we are born because of sin in the world. But throughout our lives, we discover a brokenness in ourselves that is at the same time shared between all people and also unique and painful and lonely. We learn that all people suffer, but no one suffers the same way. But part of the beauty of what happens when God enters into our brokenness with his redemptive grace is that he creates something new that has never been made the same way before. I learned last week about a Japanese art form. It's called kintsugi, and you may have heard of it. Um, We've got a picture up here on the screen as an example, uh, but here's how it's described on a website uh, discussing this art form. In the Japanese tradition of kintsugi, broken things are repaired with gold or silver joinery so that the repaired object is even lovelier than the original. And the breakage and repair becomes an important part of the object's history rather than something to disguise. The idea that adversity could make something or someone more beautiful and that old things have a history that makes them rich and valuable is a lovely and deeply comforting one. In this artistic tradition, we hear the cry of the human heart, desperately longing for something to repair the brokenness, not of our cups or our plates, but of our very souls. In Jesus Christ, we hear the voice of our God saying, behold, I'm making all things new. And part of the wonder and beauty of God's plan of redemption for us as a people, for us in our individual lives, is that the brokenness we experience, just like the cracks and holes that previously existed in that cup, is being made new and beautiful through something valuable, something more valuable, more precious than silver or gold. The brokenness becomes a part of our story of how God deserves the praise and honor and glory for who he is and what he's done. And for me, as I think about this image that's on the screen, I can look back in my life and I can think about those cracks, those holes in my life that I can look back and see how God has repaired them, how he's used that for something good and redemptive. And then I can also look at my life and see the places where those cracks and those holes still exist, where I still experience my brokenness. But the promise of the gospel is that we don't have to think that those cracks and holes in our lives are going to continue to exist forever but that we can have a hope here that we will be redeemed, that we will be healed, that we will be made into something better than before. 
We don't have to look at those things as permanent parts of who we are. I'm sure if you're here today, you can have the same experience. Maybe you can look back on your life and you can see some of those broken areas of your life that you've seen God restore and repair. But if you're like me, sometimes the parts that stand out most are the parts that are still cracked, that still have maybe big chunks missing. Maybe those are the parts that stand out to you today. You're really recognizing your own brokenness, but it's hard to recognize what God's done in your life. I'd like us to just think on two things before we finish up here today. And the first is to marvel at the beauty of what God has done in your life. To recognize that God is uniquely repairing the brokenness of your life to make something incredible. As you recognize this, use it as an opportunity to share who God is through what he's done in you. And then second, to own the fact that you are a work in progress. Like I said, if you're here today, this is a place where it's okay to be a work in progress because we are all works in progress, so you'll fit right in. Recognizing we're a work in progress is important. We don't need to look at those holes and cracks in our lives as something permanent. God's not done with you yet. He won't be done with any of us until he calls us home for good. But know that the same God who made Saul a chosen vessel is doing the same thing in you. Now, if you're here today and you have not had that fresh start with Jesus, maybe you've not placed your faith in Jesus and experienced that restoration, or maybe you are seeing kind of in your life some of those repaired cracks, some of those repaired holes that are, you see how God has gifted you uniquely, called you uniquely, called you to be a chosen instrument. Maybe you want to use that to serve somewhere here at Solid Rock. Or maybe as we talked about brokenness and how it exists, maybe you reflected on your marriage and you recognized that some of those things described your marriage and maybe you'd want to consider something like re-engage, that God might use that in your life. Or maybe what you're experiencing today is just a, a broken heart, a brokenness that you don't even have words to. Wherever you fall in that spectrum, any of those things, we're gonna have some prayer partners up at the front. We'll have some of our elders out in the commons. I'll be out in the comments, would love to talk to you after service about any of those things to see what God is doing in your life and what he might continue to do in the future because we know he is faithful to us. Even in the times where we stumble, we fall, we're faithless, God remains faithful to us and he is always working in us and through us. So just a couple questions here to finish up. First, when is a time in your life that you've experienced your own brokenness? Think to a time that maybe you experienced a great pain. What was that like for you? What did you need in that time? How can God be the answer to that? Second, what are the barriers that keep you from embracing the grace of God through Jesus, either for the first time or consistently in your life? What's keeping you from accepting the grace, the gift that is Jesus? Or if you are, have already accepted that gift, what keeps you from being gracious to yourself when you mess up? even if you are already a Christian. And third, looking back on your story, what are some specific ways you think God wants to use you as a chosen instrument? Again, just like Saul was chosen as a vessel of God's word, so all of us have that same call, though it will look different for each one of us. So reflect maybe how God could be calling you to be that chosen instrument in his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, as we finish another year, we recognize that 
when we look back at the past year, when we look forward, we know that something consistent will be the brokenness that we experience. We know that these things happen in our lives, that they happen in us, they happen to us. But God, as we look forward to the next year, let us not think that we can repair that brokenness through something external, that we could do more or say more or be more. God, give us the recognition that you are the answer, that you have offered a fresh start in Jesus, that with you every day is a fresh start because of your enduring, sustaining grace. God, we ask that as we experience our own brokenness, that it would point us to you, that we would trust you to be the one who continues to repair and use us, even broken as we are. God, we want to be used as your instruments, as your vessels in the world. We want to be able to share the good news of Jesus with others. And God, we know that we need your strength and your guidance to continue to do that. But God, most of all, just give us a recognition of who you are. Let us see our brokenness only in so much as it helps us understand how incredible you are, how loving, how gracious, how perfect, how holy, and that you would love such as us. God, we are so grateful. We thank you that you've promised us that in your word, that these aren't stories that just happened to somebody a long time ago, but they're for us here today as well. We submit all these things to you in the name of Jesus.